You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. They know what they're here for. 
I heard someone say one time, the two greatest days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you know why you're, oh, my mic is off, okay. Oh. Thank you. The only reason, that, I mean, none of you have a hard time hearing me. We just don't get this recorded if my mic's not on. So again, there's a huge difference. Productive people, they usually have a goal. They have a mission uh, for their life. They can tell you what that is if you were to ask them. Whereas busy people, they really have uh, no mission um, for their life. Another difference is a productive person has fewer focused priorities, whereas a busy person um, has many priorities that are always changing. So a productive person, they've kind of got very focused priorities. Uh, they kind of build their life. They build their schedule around those priorities. Again, whereas a busy person, they have so many priorities, and they're always changing those priorities, and they're kind of running from one priority to another, and it kind of resembles a chicken running around with its head cut off. They're scattered. They're running here and running there, and they're doing a lot, but they're not doing any of it well. Productive people are those who say yes slowly and sparingly, whereas a busy person says yes to everything. Productive people close doors of opportunity, whereas a busy person will close no doors. All doors are open to them. Productive people let their results do the talking Whereas busy people constantly talk about how busy they are. Productive people, they kind of make time for what is important. Whereas busy people talk about how much they have to do. Productive people focus. They're very focused. Whereas busy people, they're constantly having to multitask because there's so much, there's too much to do. Productive people want other people to be uh, productive, whereas busy people want other people to be busy as well. Productive people, they want other people to be effective, whereas busy people, they just want other people like them, busy, 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 doing stuff all the time. And lastly, productive people are making changes in their lives. They're constantly adjusting. They're making uh, changes in their lives in order to be more effective, to be more productive, where busy people talk about how they, will, how they wanna make changes, but they never do. Now, if you resemble, again, more busy traits than productive traits in your life, this is really not the kind of life God calls us to. This is not the kind of life God calls us to live. Some of the busiest people are also some of the least productive. Now listen to what uh, Psalm 127 verse 2 says. It says, it is senseless. Another translation says, it's foolish for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. And I think one of the traits of productive people is they know when, they know how to stop, whereas you know, busy people usually have to get sick or they have to suffer some kind of a physical ailment before they'll stop and rest. 
Again, this is not how God wants us living life. And so David, uh, who I think probably, you know, is, uh, you know, uh, um, tempted by all of these same things that busy people are, I think David kind of, you know, sees this kind of, of life, and, and it's why he kind of writes there in, in Psalm 2, uh, in, in Psalm 23, verse 2, uh, he says, he, God, makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still or quiet waters. Now, of all the things the shepherd attempts to do for their sheep, the shepherd understands, again, how important it is for sheep to lie down and rest. And it's interesting that you find this at the very beginning of the psalm. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, many translations will say, uh, he leads me beside still waters. Now, if you know anything about sheep, it is very, very difficult for sheep to lie down and rest uh, beside running or babbling waters. It, it makes them very nervous. It scares them. They don't like the movement. And so David is very clear that, that God leads us beside the still, beside the quiet waters in order to be able to get the rest that we need. Now, for those of you that are maybe not very familiar uh, with sheep, there are really some very interesting and peculiar things about sheep that I didn't know. Uh, maybe you perhaps don't know either. There was a book out uh, not too long ago uh, written by Philip Keller, and it was called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And it's a fascinating book. I would highly recommend uh, you reading it if you haven't already. It's an interesting read. It's a fast read. Uh, in the book, uh, Keller talks about um, those who take care of sheep. And he said, it is almost impossible for sheep to lie down and rest unless four needs are completely met. And he says the first need that sheep has kind of arises out of their natural timidity. And he said, sheep refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Again, going back to the, the, the quiet, the still waters. The slightest fear. And sheep uh, become very anxious, they become very nervous, and it's impossible for them to lie down until those fears are relieved. Secondly, he says, because of the social behavior within the flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. In other words, sheep need to be free of conflict with other sheep uh, in order to lie down and rest. Thirdly, if pestered and tormented uh, by flies or other parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when they're free of pest uh, can they lie down and relax. How many of you have been trying to take a nap and there's a fly that will not leave you alone, right? So, so the sheep are the same way. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they are in need of finding food. Sheep must be free from hunger. It's significant, again, for sheep to be able to lie down and to rest and to relax. There has to be this definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravation, 
and hunger. Isn't it also significant how much of that is true for people also? It's hard for people to rest when we're fearful, when we're tense, when we're aggravated, or when we're hungry. It's also significant that the only person uh, able to provide that for the sheep is the shepherd. It's only the shepherd who can provide relief from all of these tensions and anxieties. It's all up to the diligence of the shepherd whether his flock is free of disturbing influences. It's the shepherd who makes it possible for the sheep to lie down, to rest, to relax, to be content, to be quiet, and to be flourishing. A flock that is restful, fearful, concerned, and discontent never does well. And David is saying that nothing quiets, calms, or reassures the sheep than to see the shepherd, the presence of the shepherd. When the sheep see the shepherd, they see their protector, they see their provider, and nothing else puts them at ease as quickly as that. And the same is true of people. And David understood this. And, and he takes what he's learning from the sheep and he applies it to people and he just simply says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside uh, the, the quiet, still waters. And David understood that God, the great shepherd, has provided all we need uh, for us, his sheep, to take refuge in him and to find rest and a place of comfort. So this morning, I wanna just look quickly at three areas where I believe God is leading us in terms of resting and relaxing in those green pastures, those quiet, still waters. And, and it's God's desire, it's his longing to lead us to that place. The first way that God does this is we've got to realize our worth. Now, I know I talk about this a lot. There's a reason that I talk about this a lot is because it's something that affects every one of us and more often in times than we are aware of. Every day, there are things that are coming at us, things that are happening in our lives that cause us to question our worth. Who are we? Do we matter to God? And if so, how much? And, and those are, there are just things that come at us on a daily basis that are constantly causing us to question that and to challenge that. Everybody struggles with this on an ongoing basis. And so much of what happens in our lives, our reactions, our responses, uh, to God, to others, to ourselves, is based on how do we see ourselves. The reason most people overwork is because they confuse their work with their worth. And this is probably maybe true more for men uh, than it is for women, but I think it's an issue for women as well. But, but men, we, we tend to kind of uh, take this to a deeper level um, oftentimes. We're so uh, into our work, so much so that we use that uh, really in many ways to define and to reaffirm our worth. And again, one of the differences between a productive person and a busy person 
is uh, oftentimes uh, we confuse who we are with what we do. Okay, a productive person, they're, they're basing their value, their worth um, on who they are, how God sees them. Oftentimes a busy person, they will, they'll, they'll find their worth, they'll reaffirm their worth based upon what they do. In America, again, we get our primary identity from what we do. It's, it's through our, our work. Again, it's, it's amazing if you, you know, meet somebody, and I'm guilty of this all the time. I'll meet somebody for the first time, you know, maybe ask them, you know, their name, you know, where do you live? And it's really not long in the conversation before I'll get to that. The, the, the real question is, what do you do? You know, because again, we think that's what's so important about that person. It, it's what they do. And oftentimes, again, that's a way that we kind of, you know, reaffirm uh, in people that really your worth is based upon what you do rather than who you are. So oftentimes we kind of think we get our value, our worth, our identity from our work. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. It says, our worth is what it is regardless of what we do. Your worth is, is who you are regardless of what you do. Now, again, many of us grew up kind of maybe under a, a curse. Maybe somebody had said to you, you know, you'll never amount to much. You, you know, you're worthless you're a nobody. I mean, maybe a teacher told you that. Maybe a friend told you that, or, or a parent, or a brother or sister. And people have said to you, you're never going to amount to much. And the real reason that we often try to overwork again is, I'll show them. I'll prove them wrong. You said I'm a nobody. I'll show you I am a somebody, and I'm going to do that through my accomplishments, by my achievements. I'll prove that by what I own. I'll, I'll demonstrate that I'm better than you by the amount that's in my bank account. And the problem with that is you'll never, ever accomplish enough to feel satisfied or accomplished. You're always going to convince yourself that your uh, next accomplishment, your next achievement, then I'll be somebody. And it's always the, the, the next decision. It's always the next moment away. Therefore, you've got to prove your value, your significance, your worth. And the primary way we do that is by overworking and never slowing down. Now, again, the proper response to all of that is to realize what God says about you, to see how God sees you, to look at yourself through God's eyes, and to base your worth and value as a person from that. James 1.18 says this, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so we might be the most important of all things he made. You and I, we are the most important of everything else God made. And because of that, that gives you and I a value and a worth that nothing else in all of creation has. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, again, very, very beginning of the Bible, God establishes something about his creation, you and I. He says, you and I, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. 
When, when you look at people, you are looking at a reflection of the image and the likeness of God. You'll never, ever look at a person. I don't care who they are. I don't care what your relationship is to them. You will never look at another human being without looking upon the image and the likeness of God. Now, it may be very buried. It may be very hard to see, but it's there. It's there. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, your heavenly father feeds the sparrows and you are far more valuable to him than they are. And again, we are the most important of all of God's creation. And Jesus affirms that over and over. If God notices, even when a sparrow falls to the ground and he takes care of the birds, Jesus says, how much more valuable, how much more worthy you are. And there are three things we need to remember when it comes to God's thoughts about you and I. Again, we'll never ever fully understand, we'll never ever fully appreciate how much God loves us. We'll never fully understand and we'll never fully experience the vast, the deep, the profound love that God has for us. As a matter of fact, we just get a glimpse of that in this life and we will spend eternity experiencing and, and receiving new waves and new revelations and new experiences of God's love for us. Second thing is there's nothing you can do in life that will, make you, that will make God love you more than he already does. His love for you is always at its fullest. God's love for you is always complete. It's never lacking anything. Number three is there's nothing you can ever do that will make God love you any less. His love is not based on your performance. His love is based upon who he is, and he is never changing. Oftentimes, we kind of, again, think that, that we can change or we can lessen God's love for us by the things that we do or don't do, and that's just not true. If that were true, then you and I were able to control the love of God. We don't have that kind of power. Now, again, God can be brokenhearted over some of our choices. God can be displeased in some of our choices, but he never stops loving us in spite of those. So the first way to realize your worth and value to God is stop looking to your work. Stop looking to other people for your value because it'll never be enough to satisfy the second way that we can do this is, again, limiting our labor. Again, this is where we have to make a conscientious decision that I'm going to make other, I'm going to make time for other things besides work. Again, we've got to decide realistically, how many hours a week can I spend doing my job? And then we need to stick to it. If it's 40 hours, it's 40 hours. If it's 30 hours, it's 30 hours. We've got to decide what of my time am I giving to my work and then we need to stick to it. 
There must be time again in our schedule for ourselves. There's got to be time for God, our, our time with, with God alone. There's got to be uh, time for family. Uh, so again, there are those important elements in our lives as well as our work. So limiting our labor is kind of important, especially for uh, two groups. The first group is those of you who would call yourselves self-employed. Now, if you're self-employed, the tendency is to just be working constantly. I mean, you just feel this pressure as, as uh, self-employed that your work never stops. Even when you're home, even when you're on vacation, you're still thinking about work. You're still making plans about what you're gonna do when you get back from that vacation. You're not a nine to five job. And so you kind of keep work with you all the time. And those of you who are, you know, entrepreneurs, I think of, you know, farmers. I mean, there's a lot of people who fall into this category of kind of being self-employed. I remember many, many years uh, back when we were meeting at the YFC building, we had a lady uh, who came by the name of Janice Sini, and she came and she was doing kind of a weekend seminar, and she was talking about how God speaks to us. And this one particular day, she was talking about how God will oftentimes speak to us in or through our dreams. And one of the things that really kind of got my attention was concerning the symbolism that she was talking about that God will use in dreams. And she said that automobiles uh, in dreams usually, not always, but usually represent our lives. And um, after that particular session, I talked to Janice about that statement. I kind of brought that up. You know, you kind of talked about cars representing our lives. And I began to tell her about this recurring dream that I would, I would just have this over and over and over and over. I would be in a car and the car would be moving and I would be trying to stop the car. I would just, I remember just being, just, you know, doing everything I can do to push that brake down harder and further in to try to get that car to stop. And my frustration that I could never, ever get that car to stop. And so I was sharing um, that reoccurring dream. And I said to her, I just have this all the time. What do you think it means? And she looked at me and she said, it just sounds like your life's out of control. I was like, wow. <laughs> so I went home and, you know, talked about it to Janie and you know, she said, maybe God's trying to remind you that he's in control of your life and the car kind of represents you trying to be uh, in control of your life. And so I really kind of prayed uh, about this and kind of what I, I came to, to see was that the car represented my life in terms of ministry. And as I kind of really began to think and pray about that, I saw where I was constantly doing stuff for church. You know, even on my days off, if I wasn't doing stuff for the church, I was thinking about it, I was planning things, um, I was constantly always thinking about work. I didn't know how to shut that off. And the car kind of represented, I didn't know how to stop the car, I didn't know how to stop my life from being just preoccupied and overrun um, by church thoughts and responsibilities.
So I had to start making changes and I really had to start finding ways of shutting work off when I'm no longer at the office. And so one of the ways that I did that was I kind of began to develop hobbies that I really uh, enjoyed. I found that when I would begin to do other things that I really enjoyed, things like, you know, at that time I was doing, you know, hunting, I enjoyed cooking, I enjoyed doing stained glass. There were just a lot of things that I really enjoyed enjoyed doing. And I found that when I began to do the things I really enjoyed, I stopped thinking about work. And, and I was kind of giving my attention or I was giving my focus to something other than work. I, you know, had to kind of start working to trying to be in the present moment. I remember that phrase being a very strong phrase at that time, be present in the moment. Oftentimes, when you're kind of thinking about other things or you're, you know, you're preoccupied, you're not in the moment. You're thinking about moments to come or you're regretting moments from the past, but you're not in the present moment. And so I kind of found things like that were very um, helpful for me um, in, in trying to keep from allowing work to become all-consuming. Now, every time that I have a dream about a car, uh, and I don't get those often anymore, but anytime I get a dream involving a car, I'm paying very, very close attention to what's happening in that dream, what's happening with that car, and how does that apply um, to my life? What is God saying uh, to me through that? And then, you know, oftentimes I'll just kind of maybe have to kind of go in and, and readjust, recalibrate uh, things in my life. So that's that first group of people. To those people who are self-employed, the second group of people oftentimes are single parents. I mean, hats off to you. I don't know how single parents uh, do it. How they manage, you know, family. They manage work uh, all at the same time. And again, it's just very, very easy for those to become all-consuming. And again, our best requires rest. And again, there are times where we can get so many irons in the fire that the fire goes out. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this. He said, only someone too foolish to find his way home would wear himself out with work. And again, if we're working all of the time or we're thinking about preoccupied with work all the time, the Bible kind of labels that as foolishness. Um, again, if the bow is never restrung, it loses its power. Now, interestingly, again, at the very, very beginning of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, God kind of lays out a plan for this. And there he says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is to be a day of rest dedicated to me. God says, you work those six days a week, but that seventh day of that week, you are to take that off and rest. This is what we call the fourth commandment. It's in the Big Ten. It's so important to God that he made it a part of the Ten Commandments. It's right up there with don't murder, don't commit adultery. That's how serious and important this is to God. Every seventh day, you stop, take a break, and rest. Why? The Bible, again, calls it the Sabbath. Jesus highlighted this in Mark chapter 2. He said the Sabbath was made for man. It was made to benefit mankind. Colossians says it doesn't matter what day you choose as long as you choose one week 
or one day every week. So Sunday's not a Sabbath for me. It's more kind of a work day for me. So what should you do on your days off, your Sabbath? Again, oftentimes, what do we do? We use it to try to catch up on things that we're behind on, right? So you get, the, you, know, you get a day off of work, and what do you do? You fill it with all the responsibilities that you haven't gotten done in the last couple of weeks. And we, we try to catch up uh, on our, our honeydew list. So let me just give you kind of a few suggestions. For some of us, the, the biggest thing that we need to do on that day is just rest our bodies, especially those of you that have very physically demanding jobs. It's so important to rest your body, to allow your body to, you know, time to kind of rejuvenate um, itself. And oftentimes, your body will make time to rest. If you don't make time, you'll, God will give you time either uh, in, in a hospital or on a sick bed, okay? Our best requires rest. It's interesting, during the French Revolution, they outlawed Sunday as a day of rest. And it's interesting, within a few years, they had to reinstate it, not for religious purposes, but because the physical health of the nation completely collapsed. They were all burnt out. So again, do you feel guilty when you relax? Do you feel guilty when you just take a day off to just sit down and relax and not really do anything? Um, Jesus didn't. Didn't bother Jesus to take time off to rest and to relax. And it shouldn't uh, um, us either. So you want to rest your body. And then the second thing you want to do on the Sabbath is use it as an opportunity to refocus or to refresh uh, your spirit. And again, the Bible calls this worship. Worship has a way of helping us to bring things into perspective. When you come into worship with a big problem, worship kind of helps us put that problem in its proper perspective. We kind of come in sometimes and we've made, we've made our molehills into mountains. Mountains helps us look at those mountains we've made and God kind of turns them into molehills again. That's the part of the beauty of worship. So we need time alone with God every day. And again, if we're too busy for God, you're too busy, right? We're missing out on one of the very things that we were made and created for, and that is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So the third and final way, um, and I'm not going to uh, go into this uh, too far, is again, just exchange my pressure for God's peace. Ever have those days where your schedule is so and you are just, you feel the pressure of that. You're filled with angst. You, you're, you're overwhelmed. You're cranky. I mean, you, you, you just see all of these negative effects kind of coming forth because of your schedule. That is one of those times where we just need to stop uh, in, in that moment, and we just need to do some adjusting. We need to do some, some recalibrating, and we just need to begin to ask God, God, help me to take the things that, that are causing the anxiety and to be able to exchange those for your peace. So I just challenge you this week as, as we go into a new week. Where are those places that God is, is trying to lead you? Um, and those are those, those 
pastures, those quiet, those still waters. And it's all for the purpose of getting you to slow down, to just rest and to relax in the presence of your shepherd, in the presence of your creator. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Or one translation says, he provides everything I need. And sometimes it's just taking that moment and just recognizing and thanking that God, you have provided everything I need. And because of that, I have nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be stressed over. I don't need to be anxious about anything. And once we get to that point, it's how, how God will then take that and he'll just begin to lead us to a place of resting, relaxing um, in him. So I, I just challenge you this week as you're going through the week, uh, look for those moments where you're feeling overwhelmed, where you're feeling stressed, where you're feeling anxious, and invite God into that moment. And just say, God, what do you want to do with this moment? I know this isn't what you want for me to be stressed out, uh, to be anxious, to be worried. Uh, I know this isn't what you want for me. Um, and again, God, where do you need to lead me? How do you want to work uh, in this situation? So I just invite you to stand this morning. Let me pray for you uh, as we go into this next week. Father, again, we just thank you so much that you are a good, good Father, that you are a good shepherd, that you know how to lead your sheep. Jesus said in, in John, we talked about this last week, that the sheep hear your voice. They know you, they hear your voice, and they follow you. So God, I pray as we get into a new week with new challenges, new opportunities, Lord, those, some of those opportunities, those challenges are going to, again, be where we just get too busy. We get caught up in the busyness and the stress and the anxiousness of life. And God, we begin to kind of crowd out all the important stuff to make room for the things that are not so important. And God, all that that does is it just increases more anxiety, more tension, and more stress. And yet, God, you have a different plan. You have a different way. And that, God, you want to lead us purposely. It says that you make us. That, God, you want to force us as much as you can. You want to lead us as much as you can and take us to places, Lord, of rest, of just refreshing, of just being able to lie down and to get a better perspective to get a clearer perspective of life from your point of view. So Father, I pray as we go into this next week, that Lord, you'll help us to see those moments, those opportunities, those invitations, where Jesus kind of talks about that in Matthew uh, 11. And he talks about those of us who are so burdened, that we're heavy laden, that we're overwhelmed. And his invitation is to come to him, that he will give us rest. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to hear that invitation, that we would be able to be led to those places again where we can find rest in you. And, Father, we thank you that Jesus says that his yoke is gentle, that it's kind, that his yoke for us, it's not burdensome. 
And so, Father, I pray that we would experience the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus as we go through this week and every opportunity that we have this week, that we would just turn our eyes and focus upon you first and foremost, that we would get our value and our worth from how you see us and not how others or how we even see ourselves, but that we would see ourselves as children, sons and daughters of the Most High. And Father, we just again thank you for your promise. We thank you for your presence, that you go with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.